Well, thank you all for braving the weather to come out tonight. Um, as Ian mentioned, my name is Erin Mast, and I'm the curator and site administrator at President Lincoln's Cottage. We did just open to the public for the first time last February, and so we celebrated our one-year anniversary um, just in time for the Lincoln Bicentennial to begin. And we're going to be looking today at this portrait of Mary and Abraham Lincoln, done around 1864 and painted by Pierre Morand. Pierre Morand is a rather interesting character because it's sort of uncertain whether or not he and Joseph Debar are actually one and the same artist. Um, Debar's work is very similar to Morand's, and through research, um, several sources list them as being one and the same person. It'll say Pierre Morand, a.k.a. Joseph H. Disdebar. Um, Debar emigrated from um, the Alsace region of France, and um, he painted numerous pictures, actually, while he was in Washington, D.C., including several of Lincoln, and in fact, the only portrait of Lincoln that we have where, that places Lincoln at the soldier's home. And we have um, a copy of that on display at our visitor center. So it's the only time we see Lincoln not only at the soldier's home, but he's in a very relaxed position wearing a straw topper and a summer suit. Um, the Lincolns moving to the soldier's home in the summer of 62, leaving in the fall, and then returning for the hot season in 63 and 64. And Mary Lincoln is actually the one who speaks most about their time at the soldier's home um, because they moved there shortly after Willie Lincoln's death in 1862, and she writes to a friend that in their time of sorrow, quiet is very necessary to them. Um, so Mary, Abraham, and their youngest son, Tad, spent these summers at the soldier's home with their son, Robert, visiting from Harvard College. But in this particular portrait we have by Pierre Morand, it shows Abraham and, uh, Abraham and Mary out for a walk in, what is in front of what is presumably the White House. Um, and it's interesting because in this, in this particular picture, they look very at ease and happy as they walk these grounds. And you could see a hint of the military presence, maybe a nod to the Civil War in the background in these two characters in military dress. Um, there is, of course, a lot of speculation about whether or not the marriage between Mary and Abraham Lincoln was a congenial one, whether or not it was a loving one. Um, there is a lot of scorn that's been heaped on Mary over the years. We do know that um, in terms of uh, what they shared in common, uh, they both did have a tendency towards being melancholy, but they also both had a love of poetry, theater, and the arts. Um, so it's not surprising that Lincoln sat multiple times for the artist Morand. Um, we also know that they differed in many ways. Mary Lincoln was highly educated. She had over 10 years of schooling. Lincoln, all told, only had one year of formal schooling. Um, she was fluent in French. She had a flair for drama, um, was an accomplished actress at her academy. She also came from a very well-connected family in Lexington. Um, she had a, a very uh, upper-class upbringing. She counted Henry Clay as a family friend, and she also... Um, thought that he was very influential politically, but also um, Dolly Madison married a kinsman of Mary Lincoln. So she was very well connected, and, co and conversely, Abraham Lincoln was not. Um, so in essence, when she married him, uh, a lot of scholars will note that she was shrewd enough to notice that he had a lot of um, ambition and that he had a lot of political promise, which had not been realized at that point once they uh, met and married in 1842. So in some sense, she was taking a risk, but she felt that it was not essentially risky because she both loved him and saw that he had a lot of promise. 
So when they made it to the White House in 1860, this was really a great accomplishment not only for Lincoln, for Abraham Lincoln, but Mary felt it was her accomplishment as well because she considered herself a very close advisor of Lincoln's and in fact was a sounding board, had followed his political career very closely, was known to uh, go to his trials when he was a lawyer to watch his performance in the, in the courtroom. And so this was really sort of a coup for her as well. And in fact, when... Abraham Lincoln had been in Washington previously as a congressman. Mary had gone along with him with their two sons living in a boarding house. So to go from living in a boarding house in Washington to returning several years later and living in the White House was really um, a great excitement for her. But of course, once she got to the White House, she found herself in the midst of a political firestorm. Um, those who uh, were, had Confederate leanings considered her a traitor, and those who had Union leanings often... Told, often uh, denounced her as being a spy um, within the White House. She did have family members who were fighting for the Confederacy, um, and when they died, she was not able to, very, to mourn them publicly. So she was on, the, on, on view of everyone and open to these criticisms. And so it was sort of whatever she did, she couldn't win in a lot of cases, perhaps. Um, so... She was also, when she first made it to the White House, a lot of visitors commented on how shabby the appearance was at the White House. But then, of course, once she starts fixing it up and buying new furnishings, she's criticized for lavish spending. And true, perhaps she overspent her budget, um, but Catherine Clinton, the author of the recent new biography of Mary Lincoln, Mrs. Lincoln, A Life, points out that the 20000 that was appropriated for fixing up the White House is equivalent to what Congress appropriated for one mural in the Capitol building. So that gives you kind of an idea of how much money she was given to fix up the White House, where she was expected to hold weekly, uh, or weekly state dinners and biweekly uh, receptions. You know, this is the, public, the, the people's house. And so uh, in some ways, perhaps she felt that it was, that 20000 wasn't, wasn't adequate, and therefore it wouldn't be that bad if she overspent it. Of course, the press felt otherwise. Um, in terms of uh, their marriage, a lot of the criticism of their marriage came both in the early years and afterwards, after Lincoln's assassination. Mary Lincoln did see herself as the love of Lincoln's life. And in fact, the quote here that they have on the label from Lincoln, I fell in love with her and I have never fallen out, is something that a lot of people who were close to the Lincolns remark on, that they had a very close connection, that Mary Lincoln, in fact, was necessary a necessary distraction in some ways um, to keep him balanced. So perhaps when they're taking this walk, this might have been prompted by Mary Lincoln her, herself to get Lincoln out of the house to, to, keep, to give him maybe a break from the pressures of war and the presidency. Um, this wasn't this wasn't just limited to things like walks and carriage rides and trips to the theater, but in fact, um, people remarked that he wasn't eating enough and that throughout his pres pre uh, presidency, he became more and more emaciated, and it was Mary's job to keep him well-fed. So in essence, she was either distracting him too much you know, and then being criticized when she wasn't distracting him enough because he wasn't getting, you know, he wasn't... Uh, he didn't have the strength and appearance of someone who was eating well and eating right. Um, and in fact, we know that carries out to their experience out at the soldier's home, that when Mary Lincoln's away, the stories are of Lincoln having an egg and a cup of coffee for breakfast and a plate of beans and a cup of coffee with the, his presidential guard at night. So this is, this is a pattern that we see not only at the White House, but when they're living out at the cottage at the soldier's home as well. Um, 
Mary Lincoln is also considered a tragic figure in many ways. Um, and this is not really surprising. She dealt with a lot of death early on in her life, um, not only with her mother dying, but then with her father and her favorite grandmother dying, her son Eddie dying, followed by Willie dying, her husband being assassinated right in front of her, and then her youngest son Tad dying right after he turned 18. Um, and as these, I mean, there were very, um, there were accepted rituals, uh, Victorian rituals for mourning, and um, it was not uncommon to mourn an entire year for a son's passing. But not only is she mourning the death of uh, one of her, of, of Willie, who she was very close with, um, but at the same time she's doing this again in the public eye and being attacked all the while in the press um, for everything that she's doing wrong, in essence. Um, and one of the ways she ended up coping with this loss is turning to spiritualism, which was not at all uncommon in the 19th century. Um, very noted professionals, including Horace Greeley, and uh, New York Supreme Court Justice, who ended up leaving his position in order to become a spiritualist. So it's not as if this was some sort of rogue, um, you know, occult sect that she was engaging in. This was something that was considered fairly common. That doesn't mean that it was accepted across the board. Um, There certainly were many efforts to debunk these spiritualists, and um, but it was some. It was a mechanism she used to cope with Willie's passing and Eddie's passing as well. And in fact, on one occasion, uh, one or more occasions, she did hold a séance out at the cottage at the soldiers' home. And um, her husband Abraham Lincoln became concerned that she was falling victim to shysters and people who were trying to take advantage of her. And one of those um, people that he doubted was a man who labeled himself Lord Colchester. And Lincoln actually ended up asking uh, Secretary of the Smithsonian at the time, Henry, to help him sort of figure out if this guy was for real or not. And Noah Brooks assisted with this um, ambush, I guess if you want to call it. And they discovered that he was indeed a fraud and then Colchester went on to try to blackmail them from expose, you know, to keep them from exposing him. So that's one of the many events that happened out at the soldiers' home that sort of point to how Mary was trying to cope with her loss, but also traps that she fell into along the way, because she certainly was sort of prone to flattery and, you know, perhaps not uh, looking at things in the most logical way or level-headed fashion. Um, While they were at the soldier's home, Lincoln also many times was there essentially by himself because Mary would take trips up to New York or to Boston to visit her son. Um, This was uh, something that she did just even for health reasons. Even though the soldier's home was considered a healthier location than the White House, um, she still oftentimes was getting away to escape the bad press perhaps, but also to spend time with her eldest son and to... (coughs) recuperate and recover herself. So a lot of times while she was in D.C., she wasn't actually spending time as the First Lady, while other times she was expected to be, you know, at the center of the political stage and being side-by-side with Lincoln. Um, She did find herself in danger also while she was First Lady. Certainly most of the focus was on Um, danger and threats to Lincoln's life, but Mary Lincoln was not immune to those threats. And at one point when um, 
when she was at the soldier's home, she was embarking to go to the hospital. She's known for her lavish spending on personal items, but she did also spend time in the hospitals caring for wounded soldiers, bringing them fruit, writing letters home to their family members um, on their behalf. And on one of these such excursions when she's heading out, she's involved in a horrible carriage accident. And at first it doesn't seem like a very major um, accident. Uh, She sustains a minor head wound, but over time, this wound actually becomes infected, and they start fearing for her life to the point where Abraham writes to their son, Robert, and says, come home, mother, very deeply hurt, um, calling him back because they're concerned for her well-being and whether or not she's going to make it. Um, but a lot of people believe, a lot of scholars believe, that that carriage accident was actually an attempt on Lincoln's life, that it was an act of sabotage, that that was the carriage he was supposed to take down Um, But he ended up riding down separately, and then Mary Lincoln was following um, down to the city using that carriage herself. So just by being connected with Lincoln, she found herself in an awful lot of danger. But still, throughout this all, was very pleased with the fact that that her husband had essentially reached the penultimate political position in the country. And they looked very happy in this portrait, and yet, in 64, if that's indeed when this was painted, um, Lincoln found himself in a political turmoil. The war wasn't necessarily going well, depending on what point in 1864 this is. He's also dealing with the possibility of not being reelected. Um, so it's a very troubling, very stressful time for the Lincolns, yet they do have rather contented expressions here. But it's, in fact, not until 1865 that you really hear from them that they are looking forward to... Um, spending peacetime together here in Washington once the war is winding down, once Lee surrenders at Appomattox, when they really start to feel like for once they will be able to enjoy this position, which up until this point has been really a series of trials for them. And it's at this point that, of course, Lincoln's assassinated. And a year after that event, um, Mary Lincoln ends up writing to a friend how dearly she loved the soldier's home and how little she supposed that one year since she would be so far removed from it. So they certainly, despite the Civil War and all the uncertainty that brought, had their, um, their routines and their mechanisms for coping with the intense personal loss both of them felt during this time period. And um, in essence, um, I mean... You can, you can speculate on what the Lincolns would have done with the rest of his presidency, and we certainly know what Mary Lincoln was looking forward to all along and what she was waiting for, um, but they were never able to realize that. The rest of Mary Lincoln's life is a rather tragic story that we don't necessarily need to go into here. Um, she never really found relief. She became estranged from her eldest son, Robert, who tried to have her institutionalized. Um, there's an awful lot of debate about whether or not she really um, was, if you want to use the word insane, or whether or not it was the result of various medications she was on for different ailments. Um, She did uh, spend time abroad with her son, Tad, and then later on after his passing. And she ultimately died in the house um, in Springfield where she and Abraham Lincoln were married um, many years later, of course, about 40 years after the fact. So both a tragic life, but I think a lot of times um, Mary Lincoln's good points are overlooked in favor of what are really sensational stories. And 
sometimes I almost liken it to what you get with celebrity gossip rags today. It seemed that the public was just hungry for sort of any dirt that could be um, dug up on Mary, not only by Lincoln's detractors, but oftentimes by people who were supposed to be his um, on the same side, other Republicans who are maybe in opposition. The chases are, um, you know, you could find many examples of Kate Chase and Mary Lincoln being rivals, just as Secretary Chase and Abraham Lincoln were rivals during this time period. Um, but I think that just as we continue to learn more and more about Lincoln, it seems that, you know, with every passing year, we learn more about him, even though he's been written about more than just about any other president. And that was probably too true during his time as well. Mary Lincoln was written about in the press more intensely and more extensively than any first lady to that point. And she's certainly better known, I think, it's safe to say, than many first ladies. Um, Mary Lincoln is a historical figure of great importance, um, and we're still learning an awful lot about her, I think. And while there have been waves of scholarship that have come out about her, um, perhaps some of the most damaging uh, material that came out was short was after Lincoln's death, um, but before her own death, um, when at a time when people were trying to record reminiscences and write down their story, and a lot of these um, these myths or legends that perpetuate to this day were generated during that time period. Um, but I do think that Mary Lincoln, for all of her faults, perhaps is someone that deserves more study and that certainly does have redeeming qualities and who can still inspire many people today. She was very politically ambitious um, before a time when that was universally acceptable for women in the United States. So from that perspective, I think that there's certainly a lot we can learn from him. Yeah, exactly. So um, with, that, um, if, with that, I guess that's you know, really what I have to say about Mary Lincoln. In terms of the artist Pierre Morand, um, it's interesting that there's still a lot unknown about him and perhaps learning more about him will end up finding more about his time spent sketching the Lincolns, since he certainly spent an awful lot of time with them that summer, because um, he just has so many portraits of Lincoln as well. So um, that's one of the great things I think about history, is that oftentimes it's a story that seems to have been already written, um, but we're constantly finding more and more information that just makes these stories richer and richer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, about visiting the cottage? Yeah. Yes. Um, President Lincoln's cottage is on the campus of the Armed Forces Retirement Home. If any of you know where that is, it's in northwest Washington, D.C. And we're open seven days a week. And uh, entrance to the cottage is by guided tour only. And there is a ticket price. Um, if you'd like to find out more about it, and I welcome you all to do so, our website's lincolncottage.org. And so you could find out more there. And also, for those of you who are really interested in Mary Lincoln, which I assume almost all of you are, um, we have author Catherine Clinton coming out in May to speak about her new biography of Mrs. Lincoln, Mrs. Lincoln, A Life, which was just published this year. And so I encourage you to check out our blog and our website for more information about that. And that's part of our uh, speaker program called Cottage Conversations. At the Cottage? At the Cottage, yes. I had the impression that she was rather isolated in Washington society. Did she have any close friends? I mean, we talk about the love of Elizabeth Keckley, her dressmaker, but right. did she have any other close friends in the cabinet or in Congress? Well, that's a very interesting question because a lot of, um, it, as soon as she even came to Washington, it seems like she was being shunned by the Washington establishment in many ways. 
And um, oftentimes people will comment that at some of these large receptions, there are only a handful of women that, uh, you know, there that are attending these. And perhaps more pointedly, it seems that her own uh, kinswomen, her sisters and her sisters-in-law, aren't really visiting her here. Now, of course, those that have moved south into the Confederacy are less likely to do so, although, interestingly enough, her youngest sister or one of her younger sisters, Emily Helm, does come stay with them at the White House for a while after her husband is killed, a Confederate uh, officer. And, of course, the Lincolns are absolutely chastised and torn apart for doing that because they're harboring a Confederate sympathizer in the White House at that time. Um, So I think that in many ways, yes, she was isolated, and that's probably why she did retreat up north um, to visit friends there or to visit her son, Robert, um, because in a lot of ways she sort of didn't have um, a number of very close confidants. And a lot of people that she maybe confided in too much, um, it ended up being to her great detriment. But Elizabeth Keckley is certainly a figure who became a very close confidant of hers. But then when she writes her story later um, about 30 years, called 30 Years a Slave, Four Years in the White House, um, the Robert and Mary Lincoln feel rather betrayed by that tale, even though Keckley's intent from her own side is not to reveal anything negative, but to, in fact, uh, reverse some of the damage done by others who've written about her. And uh, Keckley and Mary had, Elizabeth and Mary had um, a lot of similar ambitions and goals, and actually um, Keckley, founder of the Contraband Relief Association here in Washington, ended up uh, asking Mary to contribute to this cause, and the Lincolns contributed about excuse me, about $200, which was the single largest donation the Contraband Relief Association obtained that year. And I think that's interesting because living at the soldier's home and making that daily commute to and from the White House for both of them brought them in direct contact with contrabands. And so perhaps they were, um, they understood the situation that the contrabands were in and just that they were lacking basic necessities and that might have predisposed them to donating to that relief effort, not just because... Um, Mary and Elizabeth were such close friends, but that they really, truly understood the cause. Down the hall on the left-hand side is a portrait of Charles Sumner, who mm-hmm. was a good friend of both Mary and Lincoln. Their relationship is interesting. Yeah, throughout their entire lives. And that's also someone... Mary did have a tendency to win people over who didn't necessarily feel a close connection with her up front, just as Abraham is able to charm people who um, meet him for the first time with preconceptions and judgments about who he is. Um, and Sumner was a friend to Mary well after Lincoln's assassination as well. So. And may I add yes. word in Mary's defense that when she was declared insane by her son Robert's actions and examined by, testified against by doctors who had never, ever examined mm-hmm. her, she smuggled a letter out to one of the first women lawyers and mm-hmm. got her freedom to go back to her sister's and she later went to the trouble of going to court and having herself declared sane again, but once branded, forget it. Once, exactly, once branded, forget it. And that actually, I mean, that spins off into interesting stories in general about um, the nature of institutional care and how oftentimes women were institutionalized because they were considered an embarrassment to their family. And Robert um, in, tried to defend his decision to institutionalize his mother because he did actually feel some pushback from people who thought maybe he was doing it for his own um, own you know personal uh, political, political ambitions. ambitions. Yeah. Have you found any anything to support the idea that she was a victim of diabetes, which really wasn't well known at the time, and 
well treated and that part of her personality difficulties would have been high blood sugar gone out of control? I have read that, but um, like a lot of the um, posthumous diagnoses of Mary Lincoln, it's really hard to sort out um, what, what is more likely than another because, I mean, she's also been declared schizophrenic posthumously, and it's, I mean, a lot of the evidence might support that she did have one of those conditions, but there's really no way that we can be certain. Thank you very much for coming, everyone. I want to remind you, um, you're standing in one of the very finest collections of Lincoln portraits and Lincoln ephemera anywhere. There are four or five genuinely singular pieces of um, Lincoln portraits in this room. So in addition to the bounty you've already had, you might want to stick around and, and take a look. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Next week, it's a pleasure being here. presenter is um, Warren Perry. Um, we'll be talking about great communicators throughout April. He'll be talking about Tony Morrison. Hope to see somebody there. And thank you Sounds again. great. Thank you, Ian. I appreciate it. Thank you.